The book of Acts, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going out, about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John will baptize with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gifts as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could oppose God? When they heard this, They had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, this past Friday, the Reverend Reginald Smith posted an article on Do Justice, a blog forum for the Christian Reformed Church focused on issues of justice. And his article was entitled, Does Our Strength Lie in Isolation? In the article, Reggie Smith walks through his own journey and wrestling with Reformed theology as a black Christian growing up on the west side of Chicago, from playing basketball in the church parking lot 
to being ordained as a minister of the word in the Christian Reformed Church. Smith picks up on a thread that winds its way through the history of Reformed theology. This idea that our strength lies in isolation. Smith first ran across this phrase in a 1958 book about the history of the Christian Reformed Church called Children of the Reformation by Martin Skoland. And as Smith writes, when he read these words, his world was shaken. The revelation caused him to ask difficult questions about Reformed theology and the history of the Christian Reformed Church specifically. Was Reformed theology inherently isolationist? Why did Reformed theology become the basis for apartheid in South Africa? Was Reformed theology at its core a racist ideology? Or had social theory trumped theology at important points in the history of Reformed Christianity in ways that could still be redeemed? Important questions for a young black man wrestling with the history and ideology of his church. Important questions for us all. The book of Acts is a book of important questions played out in story form. The book of Acts traces the history of Christianity from this small Jewish sect of Christ followers in ancient Palestine to this global religious movement that spanned the known world, attracting people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You might say that the focus of the book of Acts, the theme of this book, is how Christ's disciples, all of whom were Jewish, wrestled with the Spirit's calling to share the good news of Jesus Christ with their Gentile, non-Jewish neighbors. As I said earlier, this passage is the second time that we hear this story in the book of Acts. The first time that we hear the story of Peter's vision and the conversion of Cornelius is in chapter 10, just one chapter before, and it's just a narrative account of the story, just Luke telling the story. An angel visits Cornelius in Caesarea and tells him to fetch for Peter. Peter is praying on the roof of a house in Joppa, and God gives him a vision of this sheet filled with all kinds of animals and tells him to eat, which is a horrifying idea to Peter, who as a Jew would have observed a strict kosher diet, which doesn't allow you to eat certain foods like pork and shellfish and uh, carry-on feeders and things like that. And this idea of dietary purity would have been central to Peter's understanding of what it meant to be a follower of God, a, a child of God. But we know the rest of the story. Peter's called to the house of Cornelius and sees the Spirit of God come on the Gentile believers just as the Spirit had come upon the disciples at Pentecost. And he realizes that God gave him the vision of the animals to show Peter that God was doing a new thing. That God was breaking down these cultural barriers that had been put in place. That God was giving the gift of the Spirit, the gift of faith to Jews and non-Jews alike. And so Peter baptizes Cornelius and his family and stays with them for a few days. But when Peter returns to Jerusalem, oh boy. 
turns out, not surprisingly, that his actions have caused quite a kerfuffle. And you have to understand, sisters and brothers, we can't simply dismiss the believers in Jerusalem as simply being small-minded or antiquated or racist. The Jewish purity laws from the Old Testament, these were central to Jewish identity as the people of God. God had established his people, the people of Israel, as his special set-apart people, and that came with this whole set of guidelines of how to live as a set-apart people, as a holy people in the world. And part of holiness meant staying pure, especially staying pure of the effects of the fall of the corruption of sin and death and idolatry. So you don't eat animals that eat dead things. You don't work with dead animals. You don't work with leather or animal body parts or anything like that. You don't touch dead people. And you don't associate with people who live in a culture of sin and death and idolatry. You don't eat their food, you don't visit their houses, you don't even think about getting married to them. You don't do anything more with them than what is required, than what is necessary. And this isn't just a set of arcane rules and cultural norms for the people of Israel. The purity code is central to their idea of what it means to be a holy, set-apart people. Sure, now you're just having a friendly chat with this idolatrous Gentile, but soon you'll be visiting their idol-filled house, soon you'll be eating their food, which has been sacrificed to idols, food that has been prepared in a way that doesn't respect the life and dignity of this creature that God has made, soon you'll be going to parties in their pagan temples, soon you'll be worshiping their gods. It's a slippery slope. Our strength is in isolation in purity, in holiness. So what Peter does here, or I should say what God has done through Peter here, is a big deal. Peter is blowing open the core of what first century Jews understand as their identity, as the chosen people of God. Blowing open is actually a very appropriate word for what is happening here, because the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which means like wind or breath. As our Lord said to Nicodemus in the dark of the night, the wind goes wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going, and so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So we shouldn't be surprised here that Peter meets with resistance at this point in the story, that he has to defend his actions. I mean, how often aren't we caught off guard by the promptings of the Holy Spirit? How often don't we write people off as unbelievers when the Spirit is actually calling us to share the good news of the gospel with them? How often don't we write off people as lost causes when the Spirit is actually calling us to develop a relationship with them? How often don't we find that just when we think we've got our theology all figured out and have a good, pious rhythm of personal obedience and devotion, the Spirit blows it open and reveals to us that the core of our theology, the core of our spiritual life, is still bound to sin and death in important ways that we need to give up 
to God. And so Peter's actions, not surprisingly, are called into question. And Peter does what all good Reformed Christians do when their life and doctrine are called into question. He goes to consistory for an interview. We might chuckle at that. We often make jokes about how the church is committed to death. Some people, not joking at all, say that it's important that we have a clear visionary leader, someone who can take clear leadership in the church and cast a vision that everyone can get behind. The buck needs to stop somewhere. But I'm amazed at Peter's response to this questioning of his work. Peter doesn't come to his counsel with this attitude of, I'm following God's will and how dare you question me. I'm just going to do what I know God is telling me to do and you can either get with, get with the times or I'm going to leave you in the dust. That's not the approach Peter takes. Peter sits down to do the hard but important work of building consensus on a committee. We might make jokes about how the church is committed to death, but making decisions by committee is a really important spiritual discipline that reveals a powerful theological truth. And that is that even if God does sometimes reveal his vision to one person, to one individual, God doesn't call an individual, he calls a people. He makes a body. God leads a community. We are not simply individual Christ followers who come together on Sunday to bump elbows with like-minded people. We are the body of Christ. And the body works together with all its moving parts. An individual might bring an idea, bring a concern, bring a vision. But the body together joins in prayer to discern where God is calling his people. When we make decisions together as a body, it means we leave our individual egos, our individual opinions, our individual likes and dislikes at the door. We get out of the way, recognizing that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. So Peter sits down with the leaders of his church and they appoint this kind of impromptu study committee. So Peter tells the story. He presents the facts. He presents six other witnesses who can testify to the Spirit's moving and to his actions. He offers his testimony in a spirit of meaningful collaboration in a spirit of working together. And after hearing his testimony, the body together, together, is able to separate their own cultural blinders from God's will. Together, they are able to rejoice about the great things that God is doing in their midst. People of God, our God is doing great things in our midst today, too. 
both here at Community Christian Reformed Church and in our broader denomination. By discerning God's will together, we have been able to do great things. We have been able to identify some of the cultural blind spots that we have, renouncing the legacy of racism and working toward reconciliation, rejecting apartheid as a heresy that compromises the gospel. That's more of a denominational perspective. But even as a congregation, we are faced with this ever-changing context in which we do ministry. And that requires us to be attentive to what the Spirit is calling, to where the Spirit is leading us. 24 years ago, when we built this building here for the first time, it was surrounded by cornfields. In the coming decade, we will be surrounded by neighborhoods and housing developments that house tens of thousands of people. What is God calling us to do as a church? Where is God calling us to do ministry? How is God challenging us, calling us to reach the lost in this changing cultural context of our city? These are important questions. By the grace of God, by the light of God's word, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, we will figure it out together. Together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, O oh Lord our God, we thank you that you have made us a part of something bigger than ourselves. We thank you that you have brought us out of darkness and into the light of your love. And we thank you that even though we are still bound to sin and darkness, that you shine the light of your grace in our hearts, that you make us a part of the community of your people, the body of Christ, that you surround us with people who together can help us discern what your will is, your good and pleasing and perfect will. Oh Lord our God, we pray that as the geography around us changes, that you would reveal to us your will for our church. We pray that you would show us how to reach the lost, to embrace the stranger, to care for those who you love. Bless us, O oh Lord, we pray, in your name, amen.